We're in a series, if you've been here with us, and this series is on the book of Habakkuk. We're in week three of a four-week series on Habakkuk. Habakkuk's a, a glorious, short little book, 56 verses, three chapters in your Old Testament, very close to the New Testament. And Habakkuk is about this. When you're facing difficult circumstances, whether they be of your own making or, or whether they just happen, how do you walk through those? How do you walk through difficulty and circumstances that you look at and you go, I don't understand what's going on. What, what's happening? That's what Habakkuk is dealing with. Habakkuk's a unique prophet. Most of the prophets, God will speak to the prophet and the prophet will speak to the people of God. That's not Habakkuk. Habakkuk looks out at the people of God and he sees that they're ignoring God. They're ignoring God's law and they act as if there will never be any consequence to their rebellion against God. And Habakkuk looks out and says, God, what are you doing? How long are you going to let this go on, God? Two weeks ago, we got our outline up here. Two weeks ago, we saw a question by Habakkuk, and it went like this. God, how long are you going to let your people live like this? How long are you going to tolerate this? Why aren't you doing something? And God answers Habakkuk. And God's answer shocks Habakkuk. Habakkuk was not expecting this. The answer was, Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel, hasty, godless nation to be my judge upon my people. Well, last week we saw Habakkuk had some more questions out of that, and he looks at God and goes, God, the Babylonians? They're, they're called the Chaldeans, the Babylonians? God, what are, how are you raising them up? They are a godless people. What are you doing? And he says, God, are you idle? Are you silent? Will the Babylonians reign and rule forever? Habakkuk is asking questions of God. And some people have asked me, like, can we question God? Or are we allowed to question God? Well, because of grace, our relationship with God is based on grace. It's not based on you being religious. It's not based on you being good enough. It's not based on you being smart enough. It's not based on you having things figured out. Our relationship is based on the grace of God. And because of that, we can freely approach Him and ask Him questions. And get this, Habakkuk is asking questions, but he's not bringing accusations. Those are very different. Habakkuk's not looking at God and going, God, you're not holy. God, you're not good. You're not gracious. You're not loving. No, he's going, God, you are holy. God, you are good. You are everlasting. But when I look at who you are, God, and I see what's happening out in the world, I can't reconcile the two. They don't make sense. I'm struggling with that. So God answers Habakkuk last week with this. He says, Habakkuk, I want you to take some notes, Habakkuk. Write this down. Don't forget what I'm about to say. And he tells Habakkuk this. In Habakkuk chapter 2, the second half of verse 4, one of these mountaintop scriptures, this scripture is echoed in three places in the New Testament. He says, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by their faith. How do we live in a world where we don't understand things? Where we're confused? We can't figure everything out. It doesn't make sense. You live by faith. 
Faith means we don't have all the answers. Faith means we can't fully see what's up ahead. We, we just have to trust God by faith. He doesn't say, Habakkuk, you need to have faith. Habakkuk had faith. Here was his problem. He wasn't living by his faith. And now, today, what we're going to see is God continue to speak to Habakkuk and answer that question. God has just told Habakkuk the righteous will live by faith, and now he's going to give a picture, because Habakkuk's going, God, the Babylonians, you're going to let them prosper? And God's going to tell Habakkuk, here's what's going to happen to Babylon. And he's going to pronounce five woes upon the nation of Babylon. And that's what we're going to see today are these five woes that come upon Babylon. But not only on Babylon, on any nation that lives this way. And really, any individual who lives and behaves like Babylon is living and behaving will feel the consequences that they feel. So let's read Scripture, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6 through 20. If you would please stand for the reading of God's good and holy word. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If uh, um, you don't have your Bible and you want to follow along on the screen, the verses will be on the screen. Hear the word of our Lord. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of a man and the violence of the earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You've devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is, not, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup of the Lord's right hand will come around you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them for the blood of a man and the violence of the earth to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. Amen. But the Lord is in his holy temple. 
Let all the earth keep silence before him. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Lord, unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, in our first verse for today, verse 6, it says, Shall not these take up their taunt? The these it's speaking of, in the very verse before, we saw it last week, the verse 5, it speaks of the nations and all the peoples that Babylon has conquered. So all the conquered and defeated foes of Babylon are going to take up a taunt against Babylon. What we're reading today is a taunt toward Babylon. Now, if any of you are sports fans, you're probably familiar with a taunt. Especially uh, if you watch football or you watch basketball, and, and sometimes there'll be a team that is very dominant. This team will seem to beat everybody. And it lasts for a long time. But eventually, when that team is, a, is, is in a difficult circumstance, maybe their best player gets kicked out of the game. The op- opposing fans will lift up a taunt against that team. They may sing something like, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye. They may sing something else. You may have heard different taunts, but sports fans love it when the team, the rival team, falls. And that's what he's saying. All the nations, all the peoples that Babylon has gobbled up and treated cruelly, they are going to rejoice. They are going to celebrate when Babylon falls. They're going to enjoy that. And in verse 1, I mean, in verse uh, 6, halfway through, we get the first of five woes. And again, we look at these woes, and we can look at them being upon Babylon, but we also have to look at ourselves and say, hey, are, are these true of me? First woe. Woe to him who keeps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. The first woe is woe to the selfish, woe to the greedy. Babylon is gobbling up nations and taking what's not theirs. They're stealing. They're grabbing up because they're greedy. It's all about Babylon. It's all about their self. That's one of our greatest sin struggles is our self. Every one of us, when we're honest, we struggle with our own selfishness and our own greed. It's often a lifelong battle for us. And here Babylon is coming up and they're gobbling it all up for themselves. It's all about their own acquisition, their own wants. And in verse 7, he says, Will not the debtors, the debtors are those they've stolen from, suddenly arise and awake and make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you've plundered the nations, they're going to plunder you. God is saying this to Habakkuk. God I mean, Habakkuk, the nations will have their revenge on Babylon. Now, when we talk about revenge, it makes great movies. 
If you watch any movies, one of the greatest themes of a, of a movie is often that of revenge. Somebody's been hurt. Somebody's been wronged. Something's been done to someone. And what they're going to do is get back the person who's done the wrong. My boys, they enjoy watching superhero movies. In particular, they like some of the Marvel movies. And the Marvel movies, they have this buildup. There's like 20 Marvel movies. And, and in these movies, there's always one villain that's behind everything. And that villain's, in the Marvel's movies, name is Thanos. And I don't think I'm giving it away if you haven't seen it, but there comes a point in one of the movies where Thanos is finally going to get the justice due him. He's going to receive it. And when this happens, I saw a YouTube clip where they took scenes of people all over the world in the movie theater. And what these people were doing, when Thanos received the justice due him, they all celebrated. All over the world, people celebrating about a movie villain getting what is his in revenge. Celebrating, cheering. And God's saying that's what the nations that Babylon has plundered are going to do. They're going to celebrate and cheer. Now, if you're here today, you're thinking revenge. That's not a characteristic we, as followers of Christ, are to have. We're not to be vengeful people, and that's true. Revenge is not being praised here. It's simply being reported. God is saying, here's what's going to happen the nations that they've taken advantage of will have their vengeance upon them. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. You and I, we don't go seeking revenge. God takes care of that. Justice is the Lord's. One day, God will take care of all of those things. We can trust Him. We can turn to Him and rely on that. Scripture does say this. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In this life, this is a very real truth, that what you reap you will sow. Meaning, if you're kind and you're gracious and you're loving to others, how do you think people will treat you? If you're rude and you're always about yourself, you don't really care about anybody. It's all about you. How do you think people will treat you? You see, so much of how people interact and respond and treat you is the harvest of what you've sown among people. There's an understanding that we reap what we sow. And here, Babylon, they've sowed in cruelty. They've sowed in selfishness. They've sowed in greed. And they're going to reap it. And the nations that they've taken advantage of will rejoice. In the Old Testament, it speaks of this. It talks about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now we often look at that and think that sounds so harsh. Sounds like vengeance. Here's what it is. It's God placing a limit upon the judgment enacted by humanity. Because here's what people would typically do. You stole my cow? I'm going to burn down your village and kill your family. It wasn't an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. No, God in an act of mercy said, if somebody does you wrong, you can't do any more what they've done to you. Be merciful. Jesus comes and he says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I tell you, turn the other cheek. 
We can trust that God will bring vengeance. We can trust that God will right every wrong. He's going to take care of it. The challenge we have is we can't understand that and see it always. When are you going to do this, God? How are you going to do this? We want to know. And God is telling Habakkuk, I've got it. Habakkuk, I'm going to do this. He gives a second woe. Verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. This is speaking of woe to those who do injustice to build their own security. What they're doing is they're taking advantage of other people to build their own security here on earth. They want to build their nest on high. Babylon has military wealth. We're, I mean, military power. We're secure. Babylon has, Babylon has financial wealth. We're secure. Babylon has a, a leader in Nebuchadnezzar. We're secure is what they think. The reality is there is no security on this earth. There is no security that will satisfy your heart's longing for security. We can pursue safety. We can pursue security. But ultimately, it will not be found on this side of eternity. The only place that security is truly found is in Jesus Christ. He secured your salvation on the cross for all who trust in Him. You can be secure in Christ. But God, because of His goodness and grace, will not let you be secure in anything of this world because He wants you to know that your only security is in Him. We can build our fortresses. We can build our kingdoms. We can have our savings account. We can do all those things. But they will not provide ultimate security. And He's saying, Woe to this nation that has taken advantage of other people to build their own security. They're fear-based. They're afraid. So they try to build their own security. You see, we see it. Christ, He took the ultimate injustice to secure our salvation. Babylon is doing injustice to other people so that they can build their security. Jesus had injustice done to Him so that He could secure all the security that you'll ever need, which is in Him. He's got you. You're secure if you're in Christ. You can rest. This life may be difficult and challenging. We may not understand it, but we have security in Him. The, the third woe. He says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. This third woe is woe to those who are violent or woe to those who exploit. Babylon is exploiting other people. They're looking at people not as having worth and value made in the image of God. What they're saying is, I want something from you. Can you deliver it? People are commodities. Do we ever do that? Do we ever look at a person and think, what can I get from you? What can you give to me? I need you to deliver something. And instead of looking going, you have eternal value and worth you're made in the image of God. How can I love and serve and care for you? That's what Jesus did. Jesus came to reconcile humanity, made in the image of God, has eternal worth and value, and he says, I am going to die for your sake. And that's what we do for one another. That's what love looks like. But here, Babylon, they're exploiting, they're taking advantage. 
And those who live like Babylon still do the same. Take advantage of other people. And in verse 14, he speaks a verse that seems a little bit out of place. He says, For the earth it will be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's speaking here about Babylon exploiting. Babylon's living for their own glory. And he pauses and he says, Hey, listen, the glory of God is going to be all over the earth as the waters fill the sea. I have a small preaching cohort that I lead here with some of our staff. And uh, we were walking through this passage and someone said this week, like, doesn't the water define the sea? Like, it says the waters will fill the sea, but like, isn't that obvious? The, the sea is the water. And I said, well, that's sort of the point. There's nowhere you can go in a sea that there's not water. You can't be in a sea and escape the water. The water is the sea. And there's nowhere you can go on the face of the earth that you're going to escape the glory of God. God's glory will be echoed and shouted through all creation. God's glory is going to be all over the earth. His glory will fill the earth. We long for the day that He returns and every tribe, tongue, and nation gather to worship Him. And His glory is known throughout the world. Here he's speaking of Babylon, this cruel and hasty nation. In Babylon... We see throughout Scripture a picture of Babylon. We first see this word Babylon or Babel in Genesis 11, where it speaks of a tower of Babel, where mankind comes and they build a tower to their own glory, to their own fame, to their own comfort, and God comes down and goes, you live for my glory. And he scatters the nations, and he scatters the people, and he scatters the languages, that's one reason we look in Revelation. In Genesis, we see the nations scattered, the nations split. In Revelation, we see all these people come together, worshiping God. That's why I love our church. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons I love this church is we have lots of nations here. We have lots of peoples here. And we get to worship together. It's, it's, a, it's a little taste of heaven. Because one day, you're going to look to your left and to your right. And you're going to be worshiping God. And you're going to see people from all over the world, from all creation, from all time, worshiping and giving glory to God. God, I want to taste that now a little bit. I want to experience that now. We get, we get to taste that a little bit here. But the enemy loves to mess that up. enemy loves to take a diverse group of people, get them fighting, get them upset, Get them where they don't extend grace to one another. Instead, they're quick to extend judgment to one another. Now, we're to be people that extend grace to one another in the name of Christ. And it's a beautiful, glorious thing. So we see Babel first in Genesis, and then we see this nation here. But here's what Habakkuk doesn't know that God knows. Babylon, 70 years from when Habakkuk writes this, they'll be done. The Medo-Persians will destroy Babylon. They'll be a nation no more. In God's economy, 70 years is like nothing. But for you and I, 70 years, that's almost the entirety of most of our lives. So God's saying, hey, Babylon, it's going to change. I'm going to bring judgment upon them. It's coming. 
coming quickly. But 70 years doesn't feel quick. God, I'm growing tired of COVID. It's been a year and a half. How long, God? God looks and goes, I know. I've got it. Keep living by faith. The righteous live by faith. Even when they can't see clearly. God, how long is there going to be unrest here? How long will there be fighting? How long will that last? God says, you live by faith. You trust in me. I'm over all of creation. And one day, every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship me. And that's what God is reminding Habakkuk of in the midst of these woes. The fourth woe, verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Here, this little section's a, a section that almost makes you uncomfortable to read it, what's going on. He's speaking of woe to immorality, what some would call debauchery. Here's what Babylon is doing. They're coming and taking over nations, and then, because of their lust and their fleshly desires, they are treating humans for their own fleshly desires. They're taking advantage of people. They're being immoral. Sexual immorality is what's happening here. And they're doing it because of their own fleshly pleasures. They're treating people as commodities. There's not love. There's not grace. There's no commitment in this. And it's a brokenness. But here's what they're also doing. They're glorying in it. They're taking glory in their lustful immorality. They're showing it off. Look at what we're doing. Doesn't our world love to do that often? Live for your fleshly desires. Live for your lustly desires. Celebrate your lustly desires. We live in a world where what Scripture says is good and holy. Our society says otherwise. And what Scripture says is sin and broken rebellion against God and will destroy your life, will kill your joy, will keep you from living the way that God has designed you to live. He's made you. The world says sin is great. We don't need a regulation upon sin. It's glorious. And that's what Babylon is doing. The things that we see in our day and time that people struggle with, this is written 2,600 years ago. It's been going on for a long time. God will bring judgment upon that. Yet, there's great grace. I want you to know God's grace is amazing. There's, there's some of you here today Maybe you haven't trusted in the Lord and you're looking going, I've done so much wrong in my life. I've done some really bad things. I've lived for myself. I've lived like the way you're talking about. I've, I've been greedy. I've been selfish. I've, I've tried to build my security and hopes in this world. I've lived for my lustful desires. Know that Jesus took the consequence of every wrong you've ever committed, of every sin, He took it all upon Himself on the cross. And He went and He became sin on the cross and died for your sin. And you receive 
His grace. You receive His forgiveness. You receive His restitution and restoration to God the Father when you trust in Him. It's a good, glorious thing. Here's what Jesus does. He takes your shame and He turns it into glory. Babylon was doing the opposite. They were taking sin and glorying in it. Jesus takes sin and turns it into glory by saying, look, I paid the price for your sin. And you and I, we have no glory. We just look and go, I'm a broken, sinful person. I have nothing to glory in. Here's all I've got to glory in. Jesus paid the price for my sin. He dealt with it. It's, it's been handled. It's over. And we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus has done that, that he's paid the price for our sin. In the 1800s, missionaries were seeking to get into what's uh, the Korean Peninsula. And if you study missions history at all, Korea was a very difficult area of the world to get into at that time. Missionaries, many died trying to get in there. But yet, over time, one territorial leader allowed missionaries in and they began to come in over time. In 1907, something happened in Korea. You see, to today, Korea, South Korea in particular, will be considered a uh, 40% Christian. Korea, South Korea sends out one of the highest percentage of missionaries for a country its size of any country on earth. This country that was hostile and hard to the gospel for a long time. But in 1907, a revival broke out in Korea. And here's what that revival was entailed. You see, Korea is an honor-shame culture. Meaning they, to, to, to shame your family, to shame people is a big deal. Uh, many cultures are, are like that. Ethiopia has a lot of honor-shame in its culture. And what happened was, those who have received forgiveness of their sins, trusted in Christ, they came forward and they confessed their sin. They said, I've stolen. I've been unfaithful. Here's what I've done. They were publicly shaming themselves. Something you would never do in that culture. But it wasn't shaming themselves. Not really. What they were doing is bringing glory to Jesus Christ. My sin has been forgiven through Him. Jesus, He's glorious. He's forgiven my sin. And they were glorying in Jesus Christ. Jesus takes our shame and turns it into glory. He takes our shame because He's paid for it. He's paid the price for our sin, and we glory in Christ. We don't glory in our sin. We glory in Him. He's all we have to glory in. And if you're here today and you look at your life and feel like your sin is too great, you feel like you've done too much wrong, Know that Jesus has thoroughly paid the price for every sin you ever could, ever have, and ever will commit. And when you trust in Him, you're forgiven. You're washed clean. And know this, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you've trusted in Christ, yet you have struggled with the same sin for years, five years, ten years, twenty years, and it just still is there. You keep on struggling. Well, there may be some sins we battle for a lifetime because we drag around this flesh. But know this, there is power in confession. 
There's power in saying to a brother or sister in Christ, I've sinned and I struggle with this sin. Pray for me. Pray that the Lord would deliver me and free me. Because God does not want us living in bondage and slavery to sin. He wants us to walk in freedom and joy that comes through Christ, paying the price for our sin. He turns our shame into glory. The fifth woe is a woe to idolatry. Now of all these, this is one we often excuse ourselves from. Well, I haven't made a stone idol and worshipped that or done anything like that. I haven't made a golden idol to try to worship. But that misses the heart of idolatry. The heart of idolatry is this. Anything in my life that takes preeminence, that becomes more important to me than Christ, is an idol. And I venture to say most of us struggle with idolatry in a way where we struggle with idolizing very good, wonderful things. Tim Keller wrote a book on idols, and I've taken some of the things that he calls idolatry here. It'll be on the screen in a second, and I'll show you some of these. Know this. I'm not going to cover all of these. We'll put these on the website uh, if you want to look at these later. But we all struggle with idolatry. Here's some of them. If you're you're looking and saying, hey, my life really has meaning and purpose if people respect me, if if people uh, honor me, you have an approval idol. Look at, look at this one down here. It says, people are dependent on me and need my help. My life has meaning if people need me. As Christians, we're to serve. We're to help others. That's a glorious thing. But it doesn't become more important than Christ. For some who do ministry, the ministry, they can love the ministry more than they love Christ. They can get out of order. And the work of ministry... The serving, the helping can become an idol. No, anything, good things that come above Christ. Let's go on the next slide. Again, I'm not doing these justice. We're just quickly going through them. You can see down here, approval. I'm productive. I'm getting it done. A lot of people have an idol of approval, wanting others to approve me. It has an idol of religion. Did you know that you can make your reputation as a Christian People know I come to church. People know I don't do these things and I do do these things. I'm a Christian. I'm religious. If that becomes more important to you than your relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing Him, loving Him, being connected with Him intimately, then even something as great as that can become an idol. Next slide, we see things like um, our our family down here. Look at this. My, My children, my parents... Family can be an idol. That's easy for parents to do. Our nation, our ethnicity, our tribe, our people group, whatever it is, those can become idols. Anything that takes a preeminent spot over Jesus Christ has become an idol. Our Creator will not share His glory with anything He's created. All the glory goes to the Creator, not to the creation. We worship the Creator. We worship God Almighty. We worship Him through Jesus Christ. So these things become an idol. Uh, one more slide, I think. Um, things like relationships can become an idol. If I find the right person, 
then my life will really have meaning. My life will really have purpose when that happens. When I get married, when I have children, when I get that. These things can all become idols. And nearly everything I just mentioned are great glorious things. None of them are bad things. These aren't sinful things. They're just things that they get out of order and become before Christ. They become an idol. So we look at the woes upon Babylon. We have to look at ourselves. Ask, how does my selfishness play out? Am I greedy? Am I unjust to others? Do I worship security? Violence? Do I exploit people? Does my lustly flesh dominate? Is there something that comes before Christ? But here's the glorious good news. Verse 20 is my favorite verse in this chapter, or in this section we did today. Verse 20. Listen to what it says. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. He says, God is in His temple. God's still in control. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in our day and time. We keep silent before Him because we know He's over all this. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows what's happening in the life of our church. He knows what's happening in the life of this city. He knows what's happening in the life of this nation. He knows what's happening in the life of this world. He is over all of that. And he tells Habakkuk, you know that I'm in the Holy Temple and rest in that. And next week we'll finish this book. Chapter 3. And I already tell you, chapter 3, I love it. Because here's what we see with Habakkuk. He starts off, he has faith, but he doesn't live by it. Chapter 3, we see him live by faith. We see Habakkuk move to a man who lives by faith. God has told him, Habakkuk, I've got it. I know you don't understand, but I've got it. And God says the same to us. Hey, I know you don't understand. Live by faith. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. You can trust me. Know this. The mockery, the punishment, the shame, the death that Babylon brought... Jesus Christ would be the ultimate fulfill that as he took the shame, the mockery, and the death that we deserve. And we can rest securely in that. I pray if anyone hasn't trusted Christ that today would be the day you would do so. And for those of you who have, I pray that God, we would experience our great delight and joy in our Savior Jesus. Let me pray. God, your word is true. It is good. It is gracious. And we pray that you would move in the hearts of lives because there's nothing I can do to move in people's life. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would love you, that you would be preeminent in our lives, that we would confess our sins, that we would experience victory over sin, and that we experience the freedom that comes from walking in Christ. Lord, you are good and gracious. We pray that like Habakkuk, we would move from merely having faith to living by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.